Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. It's 15 September, Sunday. It's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. All right, we have a couple things to announce here before we uh, get into our first article. The first is that we have Ron and Shannon here for their last week. Is that right? They've been here for a month. They've gone out to mission work with us on the weekends. We've had some good times together. Ron stayed with me a couple of days, and we went walking and opening coconuts and stuff. So it's been a pleasure, and I thank you so much for making this effort. And then we have a couple more people that came all the way from Arkansas to fellowship with us for the third or fourth time. Goodness, they drive down here, and it's uh, John and Kathy Slater. And when they're here, they also go to mission work every week. I mean, it's astonishing. They, they come down here on their vacation, and they spend it helping people in the project. So wonderful to have you guys here, and thank you for making the effort as well. And I'd like to say, before we get into our Israel category, that uh, we had a Sergio and Rhoda Israel video today. And for those of you that were here on time, it is dealing with something that actually deals with prophecy itself. Is, uh, does everybody that saw the video enjoy it? Okay, it's about the Judean date palm, uh, the Methuselah palm, and it is a rather astonishing video. If you watch it, it is uh, uh, really wonderful. And what I thought I would do, just because I hope that they're still online, if they are, we'll give Sergio and Rhoda a call. I hear that there is news about the Judean date palm, which is in addition to what we saw now. Since they filmed this, and uh, it's coming out today, but since that time, there is some news. So I'm going to try giving him a call. I don't know if this will get through or not, but uh, if it does, that did not work. Let me try a different number here. We'll try this one here. Oh, he's calling me. He's watching you. <laughs> Apparently, you're watching the update because uh, we tried to get a hold of you. Oh, let me turn around so everybody. How are you guys doing there? Say hi to the church. And we're on the prophecy update, so don't say anything bad. You're online here, folks. We've got streaming going in. We're going to include this in the prophecy update. But uh, uh, how are you guys doing there? You're looking good, Rhoda. Thank you. Yeah, Sergio's looking big. Uh, maybe it's too close to the camera. Yeah, oh yeah, now you're really small. So um, I understand, I've heard that there is something about the uh, date palm. You've got some information that has not yet been released outside of Israel. That's right, yeah. So in the video that you will see today online, and, and the people at church already have seen it. Which is a great video. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, the, we show the uh, trees. So the problem is that we're going to show you the bay tree that is an ancient, extinct um, seed. And it was um, uh, germinated and grown into a, a large tree. And so for the first time in a thousand years, uh, they thought we're going to have Judean date, uh, date, date fruits. But those have unfortunately been extinct. extinct since like there are two theories since the times of jesus or since the 12th century and we explain all this in the video but here's what in the video we don't share and we wanted to share with you now so those who already watched it will understand and those who will watch it you can remember this the tree that we show appeared to be a male tree which means it doesn't carry any date fruits but they found more seeds from the times of jesus that they planted and those potentially could be 
a female trees that would bear fruit. Right. And we read in Israel articles that indeed those are female trees and we should be having some Judean dates that Jesus would have eaten that had been extinct for 2,000 years. So that's something we didn't have in the video and we're happy to Unbelievable. Do. Well, I have to tell you, while I was sitting here watching the video, knowing what they didn't know, I was actually starting to cry because of it. To think that the Lord has prophetically brought Israel back into the land and he is also... Um, done this so that when Christ returns, he will be eating the same dates that were available when he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. Okay, so I got a question for you. I, I, I can see you need to go. You're kind of shuffling around. Um, uh, where are you guys? Are you filming today or what are you doing? Um, yeah, we're, we're, well, we're filming kind of something. I'll let me show you. It's really cool. We're at this really cool place. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful place. We really miss it. We haven't been here for a while, but uh, we're, we're kind of here now. Welcome to the U.S. It's good to have you here. Okay, we have here Sergio and Rhoda, all the way from Israel. They just arrived, and. Uh, They do not have a lot of time, free time in America. So if you see the prophecy update and you say, oh, I want to contact Sergio and Rhoda and I want to get together with them, they're not going to be able to do that. Their, their schedule is completely filled up till the day they leave. And so uh, they uh, have a lot to do. And uh, along with that, uh, they actually brought something along with them from Israel for the church. Yes, that is relevant to what we just talked about. So we have... Dates from Israel, Medjool dates. But Medjool. Yeah, they're not Judean dates, but they are the Medjool grown in Israel. And so at halftime, all the people online and the people on the Prophecy Update can wonder what they taste like. We'll be tasting them. So there you go. Anyway, it's wonderful to have you guys here. Welcome, welcome to the U.S. And it's good to have you here. Good to be here. All right, here we go. Let's see here. Our first category, as always, kind of a pertinent category to what just happened, is Israel. And from Aretz Shiva, I've got a note on Israel's Leviathan platform is in the final stages of construction. You know, they started to haul it across the ocean, and we're going to follow this until it's actually online. But uh, the largest energy project in the history of the state of Israel is reaching its final stage in advance of the first gas production, which will supply customers in Israel and the region before the end of the year. They're saying that this will be online and producing by the end of the year. The production docks, the top sides, comprising of five different production units, are expected to arrive offshore Israel in the coming days on four separate barges. As you know, they came from the Gulf of Mexico. Also arriving will be the world's largest offshore semi-submersible crane vessel, which will be situated by the platform jacket installed at the beginning of the year. The crane vessel is much larger than the platform and will be visible from the shore. They'll actually be able to see the crane itself from the shore, but the platform they won't be able to see. It won't, you know, harm their view when they're out at the ocean. But the crane vessel will install each of the topside decks, a process that will take approximately four weeks, after which the crane vessel will leave the area. All right, the installation process and startup process will be accompanied by several vessels the number of which will be gradually reduced as we approach the final stage and first gas. By order of the Knesset's Foreign Affairs and Security Committee, a radius of three kilometers around the platform is prohibited to unauthorized maritime 
traffic. It's a dangerous world we live in, and we know that people would love to blow this thing up for reasons of security and safety. The Leviathan platform will be set 10 kilometers offshore at a water depth of 86 meters. And the height of the top sides from sea level to the top level is 47 meters. That's a really big platform. The platform boom, which reaches a height of 130 meters above sea level, is part of the platform safety system. The top sides will house the platform's gas processing facilities, accommodations for the team workers, work areas, and a helipad. The flare located at the tip of the platform boom is part of the platform's safety systems and is designed to prevent hydrocarbon emissions into the atmosphere. In addition, the top sides will contain all the utilities required to operate the platform, including power generation, water desalinization, and waste treatment. In essence, the platform is not dependent on onshore facilities for any of its utility needs. If they need a wastewater operator and I might go over there and do my temporary duty to keep my license up on that platform. That'd be okay with me. From uh, the Times of Israel. Israel said, again, mulling raid on Iran thinks Trump, unlike Obama, will not oppose. They're counting on Trump allowing them to do this. Israeli officials are currently considering the possibility of conducting a military strike on Iran with or without the approval of the U.S. The New York Times reported, they believe President Trump could decide not to stand in the way of such an attack, unlike his predecessor, Boring Obama. Once again, more than a decade after they first raised the subject with American officials, Israeli officials have been considering the possibility of a unilateral strike against Iran. Unlike with Bush and Obama, there is great confidence that Trump wouldn't stand in the way. The secret history of the push to strike Iran which focused on Israeli-U.S. efforts to prevent Iran from attaining nuclear weapons, did not specify which targets Israel was now said to be contemplating attacking. It noted that the hawks in Israel and America have spent more than a decade agitating for war with the Islamic Republic's nuclear program and asked, will Trump finally deliver? The threat of war could be a bluff or an election ploy. But it also represents a dangerous confluence of interests, an American president often reluctant to use military force, and an Israeli prime minister looking to deal with unfinished business. I think that it's far more likely that Trump would give Netanyahu a green light to strike Iran than that Trump would strike himself. The Obama admin's ambassador to Israel, Dan Shapiro, was quoted as saying, so he actually believes this could happen, but that you know is a big risk. So we'll see where it goes with that. From the Times of Israel, tiny first temple seal impression found with the name of Bible-era royal steward. This made a lot of the news services, but it's still very interesting. In earth excavated from the foundations of the Western Wall under Robinson's Arch in 2013, a National Service volunteer unearthed the one-centimeter inscribed letter sealer bearing the ancient Hebrew name of a character found several times in the Hebrew Bible, Adonaiyahu, literally, the Lord is my master. In English translations of the Bible, the name is written Adonaiah. This inscription is unique and of utmost importance. The role of the royal steward, which is Asher al-Habait, appears several times in the Bible, and it is used for the highest level minister in the royal court. For example, the title of royal steward was used in the book of Genesis for Joseph's high-powered position in Egypt. And so we know that uh, the Jews were in Israel. It just keeps evidence, 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 keeps mounting up. 
again and again. And so we have no doubt at all that, uh, uh, you know, the Lord is bringing these things out at this time. So there is no doubt that the land belongs to Israel. From the BBC, just the title, Arab Nations Condemn Netanyahu's Jordan Valley Annexation Plan. Now, I talked about that last week, and it suddenly made the news services this week, and it's been talked about a lot. If you haven't been following it, go read up on it. But, uh, of course, all of the Arab nations do not like the fact that Netanyahu wants to annex the land where the settlements are already developed. Okay, They're not going to give those back. He says there's going to be no more Gush Katif. They're not going to pull out like they did in the Gaza Strip. Hey, there you go. Uh, from Christian News Today, I call this Doctrine Matters, and I had a bunch of articles but I'm only going to read you one, and I'm going to skip over the rest. And the reason why is because we have a speaker here today. His name is Pastor Umar, and he's got some important information to uh, convey to the people on the Prophecy Update. And he uh, actually already spoke for us, but we're going to put his what he said into the Prophecy Update. And I hope that you'll pay attention. He was an ex-Muslim. He converted to Christianity, and he bears the marks of his testimony for Christ. And so I would uh, hope that you would enjoy what he has to say. He needs support. He does a great deal of work over in Uganda. And so if uh, this touches you and you need the information to contact him directly, you can email me and I'll get that to you. For the people that are in the church, there's all kinds of leaflets in back. You can grab those. And, uh, you know, he'll be leaving probably before we finish up. But if not, please uh, extend a, a welcome to him. Uh, as far as our one article from Christian News Today from the Jerusalem Post, Messiah almost here, and Orthodox Jews, Evangelicals, know it, Pastor says. Orthodox rabbis and Evangelical Christians equally believe that the world is on the cusp of the Battle of Armageddon and that we are about to see the Messiah, said Dr. Jeffrey D. Johnson. In an interview with the Jerusalem Post, Johnson said that the reality of devout Jewish and Christians sharing this common bond should cause us all to pause and say, oh my word, there is hope here. Now, the reason why I brought this up is because doctrine actually matters. What the Jews are hoping for in the Messiah is not what Christians believe in the Messiah. All right. There's a, a world of difference between the two. Okay. So this guy to equate the Messiah of the Christian Bible all right, the Savior Jesus to who the Jews are hoping for is a very false premise. And I would like people to not buy this book. I would like people to not get involved in this type of theology, okay? The Jews are looking for the Messiah. They have rejected their Messiah. He came 2,000 years ago. They are going to go through the tribulation period because they rejected their Messiah, and they are going to call on a false Messiah. He's known as the Antichrist. They're going to go through the seven years of tribulation, and in that process, two-thirds of them are going to die. So when you see this type of nonsense, I would hope that you would stay away from it. It's very important that you do. I'll go on with this. He says it should cause all of us to pause and say, oh, my word, there is hope here. There is no hope at all in the coming of the Jewish Messiah that they think is the Jewish Messiah. There is only hope in Jesus Christ. He goes on in a world of great despair. There is hope in the Messiah. Specifically, he said the common bond is in the belief that one day soon... There will be a war, as described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, in which Israel will battle a coalition led by Persia, which is considered today to be Iran. And through this battle, the Messiah will come. He admitted that while there may be some theological differences, what an understatement, what an absolute understatement for him to say that about who the Messiah is, the narratives are strikingly similar. They are so divergent that they are like polar opposites. 
You can go to the South Pole and the North Pole. You can't get any further on the Earth. It's further than that by a long shot, folks. He says it's a common bond. He said, and the premise of Johnson's new book, Divine Mysteries, Concise and Thoughtful Ancient Biblical Wisdom. And it goes on like this. He's promoting a book. He's written a book. Everybody can write a book. Nobody studies their Bible and they get into this type of theology. I would like you to go to John 5, verse 43 through 47. Okay. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So he says explicitly, they will come and they will receive a false Christ because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a conquering king, not a suffering servant. So please understand that theology matters. It is very important. I'm gonna ask uh, Pastor Umar to come forward and I'll introduce him to you all. I just met him this morning myself, but it uh, seems like a very nice chap. He's from Uganda, correct? Yes. All right, so this is Pastor Umar. Let me see, you're not, in, yeah, you're almost in the screen. Come a little closer to me. This yes. is, if you're inside of that box and you're okay, now there's going to be somebody that's monitoring this, and if you stand up and walk around, he'll zoom out for you. Don't worry about okay. that. But if you want to sit at the pulpit, that's fine. But he's going to speak to us about his testimony in Christ and uh, where he has gone uh, from being a Muslim, yes. growing up in that capacity, and then converting to Christ and what has happened to him during his year. So it's a pleasure to have you here, sir, and Thank we you. welcome you. Yeah, All right, go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm very happy to be here today. Uh, thank you, Shelley. Thank you. Uh, I am Pastor Uma Mulinde. Uma is an uh, Arabic name uh, because I was born in a Muslim family. Uh, but now I got converted. And uh, you can put the first slide. I was a staunch Muslim who had studied Islamic theology, but Jesus changed me and I got converted. Uh, it was a miraculous conversion because Islam and Christianity, or Islam and faith in Yeshua, in Jesus, is different. Uh, whatever makes you a believer in Jesus is rejected in Islam. And people should know this. Islam rejects the death and the resurrection of Jesus when they say that Jesus did not die on the cross and was not crucified. And Islam rejects Jesus being a son of God and a number of other important Christian or church, or believers, or Bible teachings. But I got converted, and uh, I thank God for that. Later on, I turned into a progressive preacher and a senior pastor of a church called Gospel Life Church International, based in Kampala, Uganda. You can see the first picture is 
when I was a Muslim, I used to dress like that. The second picture, before what happened, happened to me, and the third picture is some of the gatherings that I conduct, gathering people in prayer and uh, preaching the gospel of the Lord. Uh, we began that church, Gospel Life Church International, with three people. One was me, my wife, and uh, our daughter. But now it's over a thousand members, of which 35% of those members are ex-Muslims. God has given me a strategy of reaching out to the Muslim people, and I witness to them my testimony, and many of them have become believers, and they love Jesus, and they are serving Jesus. For over 20 years, I have been involved in two sorrow-winning gospel outreaches, discipleship, Christian advocacy, care for persecuted believers, and education for disadvantaged children. I'm a holder of Doctor of Philosophy in Christian Mission. Uh, second slide. Uh, after becoming a Christian, I was assaulted and excommunicated from my family because according to Sharia law, the sin of apostasy, leaving Islam, must be punished by death. While Uganda does not have any laws criminalizing apostasy, many Ugandan Muslims still feel strongly that this is a sin and must be punished by death. Because of that, on 24th of December 2011, Ugandan Muslim extremists attacked me as I was coming out of, out of my church. You know, after preaching, they attacked, they attacked me and they poured a bucket of acid on my face. Uh, that's why you see me putting on these glasses. All the eyes were burnt and my, my, my face was burnt severely, as you, you will see. Acid is a burning chemical and one of the most dangerous burning chemicals. When acid is poured in a person, the result is horrifying. Nitric, hydrochloric, or sulfuric acids all have a catastrophic effect on a human flesh. When acid is poured on you, the result is horrifying. It causes the skin tissue to melt, often exposing the bones below the flesh and sometimes even dissolving the bones. Acid burnt me to near death had God not helped me. Mm. Therefore, I'm one of those believers who have experienced severe persecution because of the gospel of our Lord. Uh, the, uh, the next slide has some of the, the pictures and uh, it's a, a, sli a slight warning that the following photos are somehow graphic. <coughs> Give us the next slide. You can see from the other picture you saw, all you have seen, Look at the other picture. Up, I was in India. They took me to different hospitals in Uganda, and the situation was worse. Then they took me to India. Then you can see in the next picture, the skin is peeling off. Then the other picture, and that picture in the corner, up, 
I had arrived in Israel from from Uganda. They took me to India, and I ended up in Israel. And uh, now my face was covered. There, as you see me walking, I was trying to walk again because I got skin implant and transplant by Israeli doctors. Because when I was in India, acid had succeeded to penetrate my neck. And from here up to here, I had a deep wound. This skin was going down. This one was going up. And you could see whatever is inside. They tried to cover here and it was not possible. So that's when God paved the way for me to go to Israel and I was treated by Israeli doctors in Sheba Hospital in Tarashamer in Israel, uh, in Tel Aviv. So my face was covered there. Down here you can see the blood. It's covered, uh, but you can see the blood through. All the skin from here, all around up to here, had been removed. Uh, they removed the skin and planted the skin. This is my doctor. You can see in green, that is my doctor. And the other gentleman in the court is, was a minister from the prime minister's office, had visited me, Ayub Bukhara. For some of you who have been to Israel, or some of the people may be knowing him. And this is my doctor. He's called Dr. Haik from Sheba Hospital. Uh, then there, as you can see, uh, I was learning to walk again because I had become lame and they were, they were pushing me in a wheelchair because I could not walk, uh, acid had paralyzed a number of my, you know, of, uh, of my parts of the body. And then there is when they had, uh, they had done the fourth surgery on me. Just imagine what you see there is after four, four surgeries. <coughs> if four surgeries, the face looks like that, how was it on the first surgery? Just imagine. So uh, the other one, I was covered like that for many years. And uh, uh, eventually, God helped me to be healed. Give me another slide. Now I travel sharing this message of perseverance, understanding firm in the Lord, overcoming trauma, critical insight into the reality of Christian persecution. As you can see in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, outreach, I teach outreach to the Muslims and testimony about the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of troubles. This is what we learn from uh, Psalms number 46, verse 1. Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12 to 14 that he was imprisoned for the fatherness of the gospel. And as a result, many of the brethren in the Lord were encouraged by Paul's bones to speak and preach the word without fear. And in a very like manner, God has given me strength, enabling me to continue spreading this message of truth and hope with bearing uh, actually the marks of the gospel on my face. You know, Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. It's not a myth. You can look at my face and see I was not born like this. But because of the gospel of the kingdom, <coughs> I have the marks of the gospel on my face. But I was born as one of the typical, beautiful African men. But my face was disfigured because of my faith. So in my ministry in Uganda, we also conduct training to church leaders, sharing with them key strategies of outreach to the Muslim people and other important information about Islamic ideology 
that Christians need to know in order to pray from informed position or being alert, as the Bible says, and conducting fruitful outreaches. Give me another slide. There is a need to understand the <coughs> Middle East Islamic dynamics. The media is hiding truth on these matters, yet many Christians in the Middle East and Africa are increasingly being deliberately targeted and brutalized by fundamentalist Muslims. But several of those attacks on innocent Christians are not prosecuted, are not publicized. Whenever you remember me, please pray for me and other persecuted believers worldwide. We have some prayer requests, requests in our ministry that although the Ugandan constitution guarantees religious freedom and Uganda is over 80% Christian, still Muslim minorities persecute Christian converts from Islam and authorities hardly uh, prosecute uh, Muslim attacks, uh, incidents against non-Muslims. There are many incidents of persecution involving adults and children. Some are experiencing rejection from their former family ties. Another one. And because of that, we are raising funds. I mean, the U.S. and other places trying to raise funds to get required funds to help our converts. Uh, we have a convert center where we take those persecuted uh, believers and uh, the idea is to provide them with care and uh, to educate the persecuted children. So our ministry, when you are praying for us, you pray for us because we need to construct a one-unit care center, a building to help these persecuted ex-Muslims. I'm not alone. There are others who are persecuted adults and children and we can turn them into valuable citizens and disciples of our Lord. The people who attacked me, those extremists, were not arrested. They were not charged in the courts of law, but they continued to threaten me, issuing more threats against me, and this time even against my family. Please pray for me and my family, and pray for other persecuted members of the body of Christ in Uganda. I have shared with you in summary but details are in my books. I have written books about this. Here I have three copies of my books and I can show you. In this book, I teach about reaching Muslims with the gospel of our Lord. And uh, in this one, <coughs> I teach about the 12 times I have survived the assassination, including the acid attack and how I ended up in Israel, because people can say you were Muslim, then how, how did you end up in Israel? So uh, th in this book, I talk about all what happened and how I ended up in Israel. In this one, I talk about my testimony, how I got converted for, from Islam and why I got converted. And then I talk about the Islamic agenda. There is a lot for people in America and Europe to know more about the Islamic agenda and things that are hidden, you know, the media tries to hide and the politicians, but in this book I bring them out because there is nowhere people in Europe and in North America can get this truth. It's hidden and people try to appease and uh, it's creating more danger and problems to the communities. So uh, you can get these books and the money we get out of this continue to support us uh, 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 to spread this truth worldwide. 
maybe after the service I'll be seated uh, behind there. You can come and get a copy and I sign it for you. It's just $20 or more, whatever you feel you choose to give. Oh, and uh, you get a copy of this, I sign it for you, and then you support us to preach the gospel or to spread this message worldwide. You can see those children, we are taking care of them, and most of them, they don't have parents. Some of their parents were killed, most of them are orphans, others, their parents are very poor, they cannot afford education. And in Africa, it's not like in, in America, whereby government is paying education for children. There, the parents have to pay. If the parent has no money, then the child will not study or will not eat. So there are many opportunities that you have here which we don't have in Africa. And it's only the church that can help and take care of those kind of children. So those are the books. And they have a lot. Uh, the, my books have my testimony, like I've, to, I've told you, and a number of, of things. My website <laughs> is on there. You can ask me questions. Uh, you can write to me. You, whatever you feel, you may buy a book today. You may support in any way you can. But if you'd like also to assist me in future or tomorrow or the other day to spread this truth and the tremendous work that we are doing in Africa, of winning the Muslims to Jesus, you can be able to send me a gift by uh, you know, clicking the donation the donate button on our website. And that website also has videos, different videos. When I was in Israel, many interviews from media were made and uh, they are posted on this website uh, from different televisions and uh, TVs in France, in uh, um, um, America, actually, they came and recorded them. You can see them, and they are very, very inspiring. I welcome your prayers and any possible support, whether you prayerfully consider giving us a monthly support or one-time support. We will appreciate you, but always remember to pray for us. And I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. May the good Lord bless you all. Shalom. All right, we'll go on to our next article here. Um, this is from the Islam category. This is the Arab Weekly. Russia widens footprint in Middle East. This is really important what's going on here. Amid escalating tensions between Hezbollah and Israel after two Israeli drones crashed into Beirut's southern suburbs, the Lebanese prime minister appealed for help, not to the United States or to the international community, but to Moscow. It was a striking moment in Russia's rise in Middle East politics. The Soviet Union's collapse in 1989 through 1991 led some Americans to proclaim a brave new world with the U.S. as a sole superpower, but Putin rebuilt Russia's international footprint as president after 2000. Syria and the Middle East have become important arenas for Russia to articulate military strength and gain weight on the international stage. Russia's intervention in Syria since 2015 has seen it acquire the TARDIS naval base, we've talked about that in a previous update, and the Hemimim air base, but it has wider effects. Russia's come back to the Middle East, has forced traditionally American-oriented countries like Israel to look for understanding with Moscow. Moscow's relations with Israel are layered. There are about a million Russian-speaking citizens living in Israel, and they have an influence on policymaking. That is 12% of the voters for the September 17th election. Likud headquarters in Tel Aviv displays on one side a massive poster that Prime Minister Netanyahu is shaking hands with Putin, and on the other side a poster of him with President Trump. 
Moscow has intel cooperation with Israel and Syria, where Russia, like Iran, supports Syrian President Assad. With both Russia and Israel flying in Syrian airspace, they fear an incident worse than the 2018 downing of an Israeli F-16 jet by a Russian-supplied Syrian surface-to-air missile. Moscow has an equally complex relationship with Tehran. Russia is aware Iran could rise up to a regional power and has counterbalanced this by developing strong ties with Ankara. This helps Russian arms sales. The location of S-400s in Syria and Crimea and quite successful use in war of older Russia-made anti-ballistic missiles by the Syrian army contributed to popularizing Russian weaponry internationally. China has demonstrated an interest in purchasing the S-400, and Erdogan, which is in Turkey, has said he plans to buy the S-500. Russia's liaison with Saudi Arabia centers on two years coordinating oil production limits, but Riyadh's arm purchases, including an agreement for S-400s and the Saudi King's 2018 Moscow visit, suggest both sides want expanded options. Russia's efforts and are relentless. Its Astana process, mediating serious conflict, has continued since 2017 with Turkey and Iran, despite what Zarif recently called stark differences between the three. After the G7, Zarif was in Moscow meeting with the Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov, and since late August, Putin's Middle East envoy Bogdanov has been in the Gulf to meet with Omani, Foreign Minister, and the Emirati National Security Advisor. In other words, Russia is moving into the Middle East, and we can see the formation of Gog Magog in a way that was never seen in the past. They're making alliances with Iran and with Turkey, as we have seen. Libya is in the works right now. They're going through a uh, civil war, and when that is finalized, we will see that Russia is the people that win that civil war will be on the side of Russia. And from there, whatever happens, we'll just have to wait and see. But it does look at this point in history like the Gog Magog battle is coming, and it's probably coming not in the too far distant future. Whether that means 10 years or 20 or one, I don't know. I'm not a speculator in that type of stuff, but it's very interesting. From Zero Hedge, U.S. waives human rights conditions to release $1.3 billion in military aid to CC's Egypt. They have human rights abuses, and it has to be approved as a waiver because of that, and we did that. You can see once again, Egypt is not included in the Gog-Magog battle. They're not listed as a nation coming against Israel. Their alliance with the United States and with Israel is key to this. The United States this week moved to waive human rights rules in order to vote through sending military aid to Egypt, totaling $1.3 billion. U.S. military aid to Egypt was set to expire on September 30th without the waiver. In a memo sent to Congress, Secretary of State Pompeo waived human rights conditions that apply to $300 million in U.S. aid, calling the Arab nation important to the national security interests of the United States for providing access to the Suez Canal, overflight rights, and fighting terror in the Sinai Desert along with its borders with Libya and Sudan. And of course, there's the historic peace treaty with Israel, which is the real reason the United States has for years steadily given some 75% of its military aid to just two countries, Israel and Egypt. That's a very important article so you can see what's going on in the world right now. And then we had a summit just this past week, the G7, kind of something funny happened. I'll just give you the title, Zero Hedge, Stunned Silence, followed Trump's G7 outburst. He's looking for Sisi. He says, where's my favorite dictator? And everybody was, uh-oh. 
but Cece took it very well. So our president has got a knack for putting his foot right in his mouth and yet pulling it off in a smooth way. He's a wonderful guy. All right, from Mongolia this week. From Reuters, Putin pushes idea of Russian gas supplies to China via Mongolia. We've seen three weeks in a row or four weeks in a row we had U.S. and Mongolia alliances being worked. Last week we saw one with Russia, and Russia's continuing that with something else this week. Putin told the head of state-controlled Gazprom to consider making Russian gas exports to China via Mongolia. They already have it going to China in a different route, but he is actually talking about going through Mongolia, and this will allow them to pick up tariffs and taxes and all that kind of stuff. And so this is something they are trying to get this alliance away from the United States right before our eyes. You think Mongolia has nothing to do with the world? It does. The Kremlin said Gazprom is due to start exporting gas to China in December via the Eastern Power of Siberia pipeline. Please look into the resources of Yamal Peninsula as well in order to gather the necessary resources for the supplies via the Western route to China via Mongolia. Putin told Gazprom head Alexei Miller at a meeting, adding that the partners in China also lean towards this route. They want to have this alliance between China, Mongolia, and Russia, and they'll put in a new pipeline in order to have it come about. From Daniel 12 Technology, Mail Online, scientists discover a way of supercooling livers so their transplant window lasts for 27 hours three times longer than currently possible. You need a liver, you gotta have it nine hours now or that liver is no good. They can now get it up to 27 hours. Scientists used a cocktail of chemicals, including an ingredient in antifreeze. They were able to keep livers at sub-zero temperatures without becoming frozen. Experts hope the same method could be used to preserve other donor organs. Oh, brave new world with that. From Behold Israel, Technion develops medical glue to replace stitches for wounds. Instead of having stitches, you just use glue. And does anybody know where this was first proposed? Israel. <laughs> no? Israel did develop this one, but it was actually first proposed in the Vietnam War. Anybody ever use something called super glue? Yeah. That was what it was developed for. It wasn't used for a super glue. It was used for healing people in Vietnam. And you can still use it. If you cut yourself really badly and you have super glue, put it on there and it'll cause it to stop. The problem with that, though, is it caused burns. In other words, it was, you know, it would burn a little bit. It wouldn't cause it to heal as well as they wanted. But in an emergency, super glue is a wonderful thing to do. I got a friend, that's all he ever uses. He's always cutting himself, and he carries super glue with himself, and he's always putting it on. So, yes. But screaming, does that help? Screaming helps, yes, it does. All right, so this is now something new that Israel has developed, which is better than super glue, okay? An Israeli tech institute, Technion, has developed a new breed of medical glue that they believe can replace place the painful process of stitches and or other serious injuries. There are additional pros to this new glue process in that the need for a doctor's meticulous hands or the need to remove stitches can now be eliminated. The glue can be applied both internally and externally. Pretty cool there. And is treated to a specific temperature. But it gets even better. The glue gun would not only replace stitches, but also the sealant required with stitches to keep a wound from leaking. It's a very strong, non-toxic tissue adhesive that remains flexible even after solidification. Often a patient is very skeptical about what chemicals are being used to treat their condition. This product being non-toxic and effective and biodegradable is something that is sure to catch the attention of many around the world, especially in light of all of its other benefits. For example, reduced pain in the process of application and less scarring. 
Professor Mizrahi has high hopes of the product entering the market within two to three years <coughs> since they've received a patent after trial runs on animals. Stitches, sutures, and staples could all be retired with unprecedented speed. Imagine that. I had some stitches in my head a couple, about a month ago for skin cancer surgery, and when she stitched it, there was one little thing that stuck out, and so now I've got a bump there forever. That would be gone. So, great stuff there. They'll need it during the tribulation period, so we'll hope they get this developed. From Revelation Plagues today, from Fox. Killer slime that can kill you in seconds is taking over France's beaches. Yes, France's beaches have been inundated by lethal slime with what experts say is the potential to kill sunbathers within seconds. Fears have heightened and six beaches were closed this summer in Brittany as the killer slime took over the vacation destination. It's a shame this place has come to be associated with death, said some guy, I can't pronounce his name, an environmental activist who warned that the large amounts of green algae on the beaches can kill you in seconds. Sounds like fun. Piles of toxic algae have covered the shore on the northern coast near St. Another name I can't pronounce, due to overfertilization of nearby fields draining into the ocean, according to the news outlet. The sludge, which releases poisonous hydrogen sulfide gases that can lead to loss of consciousness and cardiac arrest, has washed up on the shores for decades. But environmentalists say that the problem is worse in this summer due to exceptional weather. All right, I can tell you for sure that that type of gas will kill you very quickly. And uh, wastewater treatment, you're warned against it. You have to have monitors on you at all times when you go into any confined space. People will go down into a manhole. The hydrogen sulfide gas will actually overcome you. Somebody will go down to try to get them out, and you'll have two or three dead people in a uh, manhole because people don't pay attention. That's happened many times, so it's a dangerous gas. Mail online, no end in sight for Mississippi's toxic algae bloom. Oyster and crab industries have been decimated by the bacteria for more than two months. Mississippi's Gulf Coast beaches have been closed since June 22nd due to algae. Toxic blue-green algae causes diarrhea and vomiting and can be fatal to dogs. Trillions of gallons of floodwaters from the Midwest have spilled into the sea, going down the Mississippi River. The algae changed the salinity levels, and it has decimated oyster and crab life. So there you go. Morality today. Epic Times says, Swedish researcher pushes eating human flesh an answer to future climate change food shortages. Yeah. At a summit for food of the future, the climate-ravaged future called Gastro Summit in Stockholm, a professor held a PowerPoint presentation asserting that we must awaken the idea of eating human flesh in the future as a way of combating the effects of climate change. Once again, climate change is everything, and we got to eat each other because of climate change. Absolutely crazy. So I, that's, you know what, that's all that I have on this article for the Prophecy Update people that watch it online, all soil and green pictures. That's exactly what it is. So it goes conflating resistance to eating human flesh with capitalist selfishness. The seminar's talking point asks, are we humans too selfish to live sustainably? Is cannibalism the solution to food sustainability in the future? Does Generation Z have the answers to our food challenges? Can consumers be tricked into making the right decisions? When interviewed after his talk, he reports brightly that 8% of conference participants said that they would be open to trying it. When asked if he himself would try it, he replies, I feel somewhat hesitant, but not to appear overly conservative, I'd have to say I'd be open to at least tasting it. So. Why don't they 
do the eating side? Why don't they become the meal side? Exactly. Why don't they become the meal side? Eat your neighbor Democrat. Whatever, you know? All right. From uh, Christian News here. And I'm sorry. Yeah, from the Christian News Service. Not Christian News, but this is Morality Christian News Service. Pennsylvania to allow residents to identify as gender neutral on driver's licenses. Pennsylvania joins 13 other states and the District of Columbia in offering neither option. So you can be a boy, you can be a girl, or you can be neither. 13 states now have this nonsense. From the Daily Wire, Bernie suggests funding abortions in poor countries to fight climate change. Democrat voters said there are too many humans on Earth. Bernie says, I agree, we need to fund abortions to poor third world countries. Yes, National Review. This guy, Pastor Buttigieg, defends abortion by suggesting the Bible says life begins with breath. So you're not alive until you take your first breath, according to these people on the left. And from the Independent, Brazilian mayor orders Avengers comic book removed from book festival over gay kiss. Finally, some reason in this world. Brazilian politician Marcelo Crivella claimed the book should be confiscated from the Rio International Book Biennial to protect our children because it contained content that is unsuitable for minors. Right on a cartoon, they got two guys kissing. Good job from him. Our other category, Zero Hedge. Armstrong, climate change has been a routine scare tactic since the 19. 30s. He's got all of the articles. He pulled them up. He went back into the archives and he found all of these articles, which I will put them on the update itself. But for you, you can just listen. Question, is there a pattern? May 1932, July 1932, May 1947, February 1969, April 1994. The answer, for whatever reason, these people have been promoting that the cities will all sink and we are the cause of it all. They have been touting this scenario since the 1930s, when there was the Dust Bowl. It resurfaced after World War II, when they were trying to stop rebuilding industry and the housing market, which had been destroyed. The same argument appeared again in the 1960s, when there was a great expansion in housing. However, during the 1970s, when things got colder, everything flipped upside down, and then it became global cooling that would destroy civilization. On April 28, 1975, Newsweek magazine published an article in which they sounded the alarm bell and proposed solutions to deliberately melt the ice caps. Yes, talk about that nowadays. Climatologists are pessimistic that political leaders will take any positive action to compensate for the climate change or even to allay its effects. They concede that some of the more spectacular solutions proposed, such as melting the Arctic ice cap by covering it with black soot or diverting Arctic rivers, might create problems far greater than those they solve, you think? But the scientists see few signs that government leaders anywhere are even prepared to take the economic projections of future food supplies. Then Time Magazine in January 31st, 1977 edition had the cover story featuring the Big Freeze. They reported that scientists were predicting that Earth's average temperature could drop by 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Their cited cause was, of course, that humans created global cooling. It just seems that humans are so powerful that we can alter the universe, but we cannot manage to create corrupt free governments. The difference this time is that they have been able to get governments interested on the basis that they can stop it by raising taxes. 
Canada imposed a $1,000 tax per home to stop global warming. Perhaps the theory is if the politicians get more money, they will speak less and reduce the hot air they spout out by yelling the end is near. Zero hedge. Martin Armstrong warns new discoveries undermine global warming narrative. The findings were published in the prestigious journal Science, whereby the previous echo science assumed the only source of nitrogen was the atmosphere. This has been standard theology, or whatever you call it, of these people forever. Okay, scientists recently discovered, oh my, that the planet holds vast storehouses of nitrogen, which is essential for plant life in its bedrock. The new discovery alters the entire theory behind global warming caused by humans. The UCA Davis environmental scientist and co-author of the study, Ben Holton, said this runs counter the centuries-long paradigm that has laid the foundation for the environmental sciences. Now pay very close attention to the word paradigm which he is using. Clearly, if Holton's discovery of a vast storehouse of nitrogen is correct, then it would have an enormous impact on global warming predictions. Why? Climate scientists have long known that plants offset some of the effects of climate change by absorbing and storing CO2. But climate scientists assumed that the ability for plants to perform this function was limited because the availability of nitrogen in the atmosphere was limited. A 2003 study published in the same science journal stated there will not be enough nitrogen available to sustain the high carbon uptake scenarios. If there's more nitrogen than there is expected, the constraints on plant growth in high CO2 world may not be as great as we think. That means the dire forecasts that we have had 12 years to live being championed by the Democrats are completely <laughs> inaccurate. The planet won't warm as much with plant life absorbing the CO2 mankind pumps into the atmosphere. So they can't use that as an excuse anymore. Every single thing that they try to use as an excuse for global warming keeps being pulled out from under their feet. Zero Hedge, UN Global Comms chief says, illegally entering the United States is a right. This is the UN Global Comms chief, all right? The head of UN Global Communications says that it is a right for migrants to illegally enter the United States. Melissa Fleming asserted that the right to seek asylum is enshrined in Article 14 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and was made binding by the 1951 Refugee Convention. It is never a crime to seek asylum in another country, even if one enters a country irregularly, she added. As head of communications, Fleming, who is an American, is also the spokesperson for the UNHCR, the same organization that Representative Ilan Omar advocated take control of the U.S.-Mexico border last week. Now, I'd like to tell you something about the um, article that she cited, Article 14 of the <laughs> Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That was signed by President Carter. And guess what? It was never ratified by the United States Senate. We are not a participant in that, and she is making an ostentatious statement that has no bearing at all. Other countries, maybe. Not the United States of America. A lie. That's exactly what it is. From Weasel Zippers, just some titles for you. At least the eighth illegal alien charged with rape or sex abuse in Maryland County since July 25th, in less than a month and a half. 
Zero Hedge, and that is a sanctuary county, by the way. Zero Hedge, Baltimore on track for record homicides as city descends into chaos. Baltimore is on course to reach more than 300 homicides for the fifth year in a row, with 230 killings through Wednesday compared to 199 at the same time last year. From Weasel Zippers, CNBC reports black unemployment rate at the lowest level on record. Thank you, President Trump. Trending politics. Trump lifts historic number of Americans off food stamps. Thank you, President Trump. According to a new report by the USDA, a shocking 6.2 million people are off of food stamps since President Trump took office. 6.2 million people. You could not fit that many people in the Superior Word Church. I want you to know that. From Zero Hedge, border arrests plummet 60% since May as Trump immigration crackdown gets results. Good job, President Trump. Okay, I have a Lesrick here for you. Let's see if you can figure out what article I'm speaking of. The Israelis have done it again. They relieve cuts and wounds without pain. Their glue is a star, beats stitches by far, less scarring, no doctor, no strain. All right, from our irony category today, before I give that, I want to remind you that we have Sergio and Rhoda Voitenko in the church today. They arrived here from Israel yesterday. Actually, they took a quick stop in uh, Italy, and then they came here. They have done a great video, and they have reported, you're the first people to know this, probably in the U.S., that they have female date palms along with the male. Watch the video. Understand what is going on. It is marvelous, okay? Here we go. A couple ironies. Male online. Bronx paralegal is arrested after fumbling her handbag and dropping 24 bags of crack and 16 vials of heroin on the floor of the district attorney's office as she walked into work. Yes. And then we have from Mail Online, crime doesn't to pay. Useless Colombian cocaine smuggler is caught trying to hide $35,000 worth of powder under his wig, his toupee, yes. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulan Batar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is the Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week. Oh.